Islam and Christianity, are they basically the same thing? Can we believe both religions? What are the differences between them? We're going to talk about that today and more on BibleStudyPodcast.org, starting now. Hello and welcome to BibleStudyPodcast.org. Today is Wednesday, August the 1st, and of course every Wednesday we do cultural issues and apologetics, and as you probably gathered from uh, from the intro there, we're going to be talking about Islam today and uh, the differences or the similarities it has with Christianity. I think that's definitely an issue that, that we are facing you know, today in our country as Christians. So uh, we're going to we're gonna talk about that today. But before we get started, I want to thank those of you who have made donations to Clean Slate Evangelical Ministries. Of course, BibleStudyPodcast.org is now officially a paraministry of Clean Slate Evangelical Ministries of North Carolina. We're a 501c3 ministry, and you can now make tax-deductible donations by going to BibleStudyPodcast.org, and down on the right-hand side at the bottom, you'll see a link to support. And of course, anybody who makes a donation uh, this week or next week is going to get some bumper stickers uh, until they're all gone, and then I'll offer something else for you guys, and hopefully that'll be good too. But uh, if the Lord's been leading you to give to us and to support us and to support our ministry. If you like what we're doing and you want to help us keep this going, you know, by all means, if the Lord has led you to do so, you now have that option. But to be honest, you know, this ministry has so far exceeded uh, any hopes or expectations I might have had for it at the beginning. You know, when I started doing these podcasts, it was kind of, you know, just something to do for fun because, I don't know, I, I had nothing else to do on my Wednesdays and Mondays. But, uh, you know, it, it's really taken off. We've had over 28,500 unique IP addresses download a message from BibleStudyPodcast.org, and we've had almost 200,000 messages downloaded. So praise the Lord for that. He has just totally exceeded any hope or expectation I would have had for this, and that just goes to show you that with God, anything that's logically possible can happen. Uh, you know, I, I never would have seen this coming, but praise the Lord for that. He's really, uh, he's really blessed this ministry. So without any further ado, let's go ahead and get started with today's podcast with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we recognize, Lord, that you have given us a choice in this life to accept your love or to reject it, Lord. And there are a lot of different religions out there that claim, you know, to, to know you, Father. And we are one of them. So help us, Father, to understand what makes our belief system more true than any others. Help us to understand why Jesus is the only way to you. Thank you so much for this time. I pray that you would bless it. I pray that you would bless the words that come out of my mouth today. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, one of the greatest struggles that Christians face in the world today and in the United States uh, is Islam. You'll hear it said that Islam is the fastest growing world religion. It's the fastest religion, you know, fastest growing religion in the whole world, expanding at a rate of 235% 
per year. Uh, obviously, that's a huge percentage. And I came across this number uh, earlier this week, and I thought, wow, is that right? You know, and further, Islam asserts that the rate of growth for Christianity is only 47%. So in other words, according to these statistics produced by Islamic sources, the religion of Islam is growing at a rate of about 500 times faster than Christianity. But is that true? Okay, first of all, let's look at where that statistic comes from. I did a bunch of research I got on the internet, and what I found is uh, it comes from the 1983 Reader's Digest Almanac and Yearbook, and the statistic that's provided in there is that Islam had a 235% growth over the last 50 years, and that was in 1983. I mean, that's nowhere near the same as saying that Islam has had an annual growth rate of 235%. You know, it's kind of funny how uh, they leave that part about 50% uh, out, of the whole, out of the whole equation, isn't it? And there are a number of problems aside from that with accepting this particular statistic as being significant or relevant or credible. First of all, since when is Reader's Digest a credible source or authority, especially when it comes to religion or statistics? They're not. You know, people read it when they've got nothing else to do. It, it, it's not supposed to be an authoritative source. Second of all, these statistics are, uh, they're almost 25 years old. So clearly, you know, compared to 25 years ago, a lot has changed in the last 25 years. And to use that statistic um, that, that's that old as if it applies still today is obviously a huge mistake. That would be the same as saying that a majority of Americans approve of the Vietnam War. Well, you know, yes, initially they did when we first went into Vietnam, but obviously such was not the case by the end of the war, and that same sentiment continues, you know, pretty much today as as well toward the Vietnam War. Um, and third, the growth rate of Islam that was provided to support the statistic was based on birth rates in third world countries in which Islam is the most prominent religion. And in such countries, a newborn baby is considered to be a Muslim by default. When you're born, you are automatically a Muslim in those countries. And that's not the case with Christianity. So, you know, taking those things into account, I'm not sure that we can even, you know, consider that statistic at all. I wanted to debunk that statistic right off the bat because, you know, to be as honest as we can here, that is an intimidating statistic if it's accurate, and uh, that would give that would definitely be a sad indication of where we are today as Christians. But the threat that Islam poses to Christianity in our culture today is still a real one, nonetheless. It's a religion which you know has its roots in the Middle East, but has expanded into the north and into Europe, including Great Britain, where the most common name for a newborn male this year is projected to be Muhammad, if you can believe that. It's gone to the Far East. In fact, if you go to the Philippines, you'll find that there are areas there which are, you know, strictly forbidden for, for tourism. Travelers can't go there. Travelers from Western civilization can't go there because there are some extreme jihadists who now uh, who are now based in the Philippines. And the religion of Islam has also gone south from the Middle East, becoming the most common religion in a lot of Africa. There are now regions in Africa which enforce militant Islam, which uh, in which the Quran is the law. 
In fact, in in seminary here, I have a friend from Africa who came to America as a Muslim. He was going to come here and study, but then he converted to Christianity once he got here. So he can no longer return to his country. His own father has vowed that he would kill my friend if he ever stepped inside his country's borders again. When my friend convinced one of his brothers to convert to Christianity, his brother was murdered. Of course, his mother wanted to travel to Egypt to uh, to attend the funeral of her murdered son. But when his father found out that she was going to leave to go to his funeral, he killed her. And what did the authorities in that country do? He wasn't tried for a crime. He wasn't prosecuted at all. Because under Islamic law, that is permissible. The woman is property of the man. And now, you know, Islam is in the process of infiltrating both North and South America. Now, remember how I talked about how in Islam, a person is basically, you know, born into the religion when a newborn baby uh, is is born by default. They are, a, uh, they are a Muslim. But consider the fact that the birth rate for Muslims is double the rate of birth for Christians. That means that we have to be intellectually prepared to counter the arguments and the claims of Islam. We are unquestionably going to be confronted by those claims as this religion becomes more and more popular in the United States. Consider this, for example. In 1990, there were right around 500,000 Muslims living in the United States. That was in 1990. In 2001, that number more than doubled to more than 1.1 million people. Now, you might have thought that, you know, um, that the growth of Islam in the United States would be slowed by the terrorist attacks of 9-11, but the data shows otherwise, believe it or not. In 2004, the number continued to increase dramatically as there were over 1.5 million Muslims in the United States. In other words, the terrorist attacks of 9-11 did nothing to slow down the spread of Islam in our country, and actually the rate of conversion to Islam increased after 9-11. Muslims have taken advantage of the fact that we have freedom of religion and freedom of expression in our country, to be honest. That's what it all comes down to. You know, in this country, you're allowed to burn the American flag. You're allowed to, uh, to shred or burn a Bible in our country. You can put a crucifix into a jar filled with urine, call it art, and put it on public display. And in fact, that has happened. And it's legal. It's fine. You can you can paint a picture of Mary, the mother of Jesus, smear that picture with elephant dung, and call that art as well, and you can get away with it. It's not a crime. They, In fact, that is a piece of art that's on display in a museum right now. You can get away with all of those things in our country. The law allows for Christians to be offended almost any way a person would like to do so. But this past week, I read a story, uh, something very disturbing happened here in our country. And when I read this story, I thought, wow, we really have uh, something going on here. And this is, that's why I chose this topic for today. Anyway, uh, on Saturday, I believe it was in New York City, a 23 year old man was arrested. He attempted to flush two copies of the Quran down a toilet at Pace University in New York. And consequently, he was charged with aggravated harassment and criminal mischief, two felony counts of committing 
hate crimes. Now, the first incident was uh, was discovered last year on October 13th by a professor at Pace University. And the second incident, the second time the, the Quran was flushed down the toilet, was discovered by a student at Pace University just a few weeks later on, uh, on November 21st of last year. Now, we're not talking about slap-on-the-wrist misdemeanors here. We're not talking about uh, the fact that, you know, it probably would have clogged up the toilet, uh, or, you know, maybe he, he stole those books. He didn't get charged with those things. We're talking about felonies here that could land this man in prison for years. We are at war here, friends. It might not be a war involving physical combat. And, you know, I don't know if that day's coming or not. I, you know, I'm not a prophet. I don't claim to be able to make any predictions. But for now, it is a war of intellect and ultimately justice. There is an attempt by various groups in our country, such as the ACLU, to twist the minds of the average American and to corrupt it so deeply that we no longer see the injustice in offending Christians. But, ah, if we classify Muslims as a, an ethnic minority group, just like we've done with homosexuals, then we are justified in punishing actions against them as hate crimes. And in fact, they have succeeded so uh, so abundantly um, that most people don't even recognize the fact that the term hate crimes is redundant. You know, I don't encourage anyone to, to hate anything or anyone, but when was the last time you heard a crime referred to as a love crime? You know, while, uh, while there's nothing good about hatred, hating someone is no more of a crime than loving them. Robbing someone at gunpoint is a crime as well it should be, but to say that it is a greater crime to rob someone of a different ethnic background than it is to rob someone of the same ethnic background is the height of injustice. This is the government dictating what we are supposed to feel. And that's not what this country is supposed to be about. Yet that's exactly what this term hate crimes does in cases like this. But this so-called crime was committed against nobody in particular. I mean, tell me this, whom was he harassing? How can he be char charged with harassment when there's not one person that he's harassing? The term hate crime... Looking at the history, it typically refers to an act of violence or a criminal act which is committed against an ethnic group as a result of a person's hatred or dislike or distrust or whatever toward that specific ethnic group. For example, when the Ku Klux Klan used to put burning crosses in the yards of ethnic minorities, you know, legally speaking, the most they could be charged with was, you know, vandalism, which is, you know, a misdemeanor offense. But because it's not exactly fair to charge them with only a misdemeanor when, you know, the victim has, you know, undergone this, this emotional stress and this anguish as a result of the burning cross being put in their yard, our justice system realized that there was an imbalance there. So any criminal act which targets an ethnic group is now referred to as a hate crime. But the problem is that Muslims aren't even an ethnic group. Islam seeks to convert anyone and everyone to Islam, regardless of the color of their skin. So to apply hate crime laws to a case like this is absolutely ridiculous, and it only goes to show that somebody's agenda is being played out here. Now, do I condone the actions of this man who flushed two copies of the Quran down the toilet? 
you know, absolutely not. While I understand that, you know, this man may have hated the Quran or, or, or he might have hated uh, Muslims, there's never a justification for acting upon your hatred or for anyone to act upon their hatred. As Christians, even if we view the religion of Islam as an enemy, uh, aren't we supposed to love our enemies? That doesn't mean that we have to agree with them or believe as they do, but I do believe that we have the moral obligation as Christians to love them as human beings. Yes, I am saying to love Muslims because they were created in the image of God just like you, just like me, just like everyone else. Yes, God loves Muslims too. He died for them too, and he offers them the same chance for redemption through Christ Jesus as he offers everyone else. Now, there was recently an Episcopalian priest named Ann Holmes Redding who came forth in an article in the Seattle Times on June 17th of this year claiming to be both a Christian and a Muslim. According to Mrs. Redding, she says, uh, quote, Why would I spend time to try to reconcile all of Christian beliefs with all of Islam? At the most basic level, I understand the two religions to be compatible. That's all I need, unquote. That's what this priest, Anne Holmes Redding, said. Friends, you are going to hear that same justification time and time again as Islam spreads more and more in this country. When I was working as a, a dealer at, you know, some prominent resort casinos on the Las Vegas Strip, you know, I actually had dozens and dozens of conversations at the tables with Muslims and Christians alike whose beliefs were the exact same as those held by this Episcopalian priest. In fact, in my last year as a dealer, I became very good friends with a Muslim man who, who had moved here from uh, the country of Turkey and who, who had tried over and over again to convince me of the fact that, uh, you know, from, you know, from his perspective, Islam and Christianity are essentially the same. You know, he'd tell me something like, you know, we, we both worship the same God of Moses and Abraham. And that, my friends, is pretty much, you know, the only similarity that we share with the religion of Islam. In fact, according to the Roman Catholic Catechism, quote, uh, the plan of salvation also includes those who acknowledge the Creator. In the first place, amongst whom are the Muslims, these profess to hold the faith of Abraham, and together with us they adore the one merciful God, mankind's judge on the last day. But let me assure you that you cannot break things down to the lowest common denominator and then assert that they are fundamentally or essentially the same any more than you can take the number four and the number six, demonstrate that they are both divisible by two, and then assert that four and six are therefore fundamentally or essentially equal. Just as one can't say that, uh, you know, because Russia and the United States are both countries on planet Earth, they're the same country, or you, know, you can take any two countries and make that same statement. You know, I don't want to see anyone tricked into buying this lie that Christianity and Islam are essentially and fundamentally the same. According to my friend from Turkey, Allah is just the word that people in the Middle East use to refer to God. It's, you know, kind of like a translation between two different languages. Is that true? In the coming weeks, this is going to be 
our primary area of focus on Wednesdays. We are going to study the differences and the similarities between Christianity and Islam. We're going to show why it is impossible to believe that both religions are true. We're going to compare things such as the Christian and Islamic means of salvation, uh, the the views of heaven, the views of hell, the views of Jesus, views of God, the views of uh, mankind, angels, you know, a lot of different things. In the coming weeks, we'll become intellectually equipped to interact intelligently with anyone, whether Christian or Muslim, regarding these matters and more. Let's end this with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time today where we can reflect on some of the things that are happening in our country, Lord, and we just ask that uh, that you would equip us with the knowledge, Lord, that we could intellectually compete and offer intelligent arguments for our position, Lord. We pray that you would keep us safe within our borders, Father, and that you would help us to love our enemies the way we love ourselves. Because that, Lord, would ultimately be glorifying to you. So, Lord, we we just thank you so much for this time. We thank you for what you're going to teach us in the coming weeks. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you all so much for listening today. If you have any questions, of course, you can always contact me at cleanslate.ministries at hotmail.com. Again, if anybody wants to register over at scriptureforums.org, uh, you know, we're trying to get some um, some discussion going there about the podcast. So if you want to go there and register, you know, that'd be great. We'd love to get some interaction, get to know you guys a little bit. But God bless you. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a great rest of your week, and I will see you guys next week. Until then, Keep growing closer to Jesus.